truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Thanks for joining us here live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. They are Todd and Aaron. And you be you. Let us know who you are. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You can also like us on Facebook, but click that like button a lot because Facebook doesn't like us. So uh, follow us on Twitter while you still can at Steve Day Show. And you can always email the program until Google hates us there too and shuts down our email server. Steve at stevedace.com. That's the email address. For those of you listening today via podcast or on Blaze Radio, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up a little bit later on, our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader will join us. And now that the Mueller probe is behind President Trump, he should have some wind at his back politically, some newfound political capital. What should he be doing with it? We'll talk about that here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we'll have uh, our weekly look at my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. And we love spreading truth bombs around here. That's why we like to support causes like Back to Jerusalem, because they're trying to spread the ultimate truth bomb. That would be the word of God. They're trying to take it to every closed country between communist China, where they're based, and Jerusalem. What's a closed country? These are countries that close their people off from access to the Bible because they don't want their people hope-filled. They don't want them to be inspired because an inspired people are more difficult to oppress. If this sounds like a cause you want to support, it's only going to cost you 15 bucks. That's what it costs for them to get the Bible that they have put in an electronic form that's only about the size of a pill. So it's easy uh, to easier uh, to sneak past the gatekeepers, uh, the fourth column in, in these respected closed countries like Iran and Somalia, North Korea, etc. cetera. Uh, and then it can be downloaded once we get it across uh, the border. 15 bucks, cost of you and someone you care about going into a fast food lunch today. If this sounds like a cause you'd like to support, here's how. Blazehelp.org is the website. That's blazehelp.org. You can also give them a call, 844-305-0566, 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a PSA for women in Iowa. If you're grabbed from behind, do this. In completely unrelated news, Democrat presidential hopeful or expected Democrat presidential hopeful Joe Biden was the focus of an editorial late last week by one Lucy Flores, who made accusations about Biden of the Me Too variety. The piece published in The Cut said, quote, I felt him get closer to me from behind. He leaned further and inhaled my hair. I was mortified. I thought to myself, I didn't wash my hair today and the vice president of the United States is smelling it. And also, what the actual bleep? Why is the vice president of the United States smelling my hair? He proceeded to plant a big, slow kiss on the back of my head. Once again, ladies of Iowa, if former Vice President Joe Biden comes to town, just just so you know. Unplanned debuted this weekend. 
It was number five in weekend gross ticket sales behind Dumbo, Us, Captain Marvel, and Five Feet Apart. But a key stat, it was in literally thousands fewer theaters than those other four films, making its per-theater average an astounding almost $6,000. This is despite being blackballed by major networks for advertising for the film and getting an R rating from the MPAA. And also over the weekend, the Twitter account for Unplanned was inexplicably blocked for a time by Twitter. As of this morning, Twitter still seems to be jacking, no pun intended, with the account as numerous people have expressed outrage after not being able to follow it. Instead, what was trending this weekend is hashtag MyWhitePrivilege, where white Twitter users flagellated themselves in the name of intersectionality. A man, I'm sorry, a being at a Beto O'Rourke rally held up the following sign. Beto is our Christ. Sounds about right. Mexico must use its very strong immigration laws to stop the many thousands of people trying to get into the USA. Our detention areas are maxed out and we will take no more illegals. Next step is to close the border. This will also help us with stopping the drug flow from Mexico. According to The Hill, Mitt Romney is in quote-unquote preliminary discussions about coming up with a replacement for Obamacare. Great plan, guys. And finally, Chris Rock at the Black Entertainment Television Awards. They said no Jesse Smollett jokes. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. What a waste of light skin, you know? You know what I could do with that light skin? That curly hair, my career would be out of here. Running Hollywood. <laughs> um, yes, no, 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 just. <laughs> what the hell was he thinking? <laughs> from now on, I ain't never gonna know just. You're Jesse from now on. You don't even get the you no more. <laughs> that you was respect. You ain't getting no respect from me. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage today brought to you by our friends at Riduzone. If you have hit the proverbial wall with your New Year's resolution to get healthier this year, you're not alone, particularly when you get to that middle age stage that I am at, your metabolism, even if you're trying to do things the right way that metabolism just may not respond the way it used to, particularly if you did a lot of damage to it in order to get yourself to the point that you thought, hey, I've got to lose weight and get healthier. That's why I want to introduce you to a new product. It's called Riduzone. This is not a stimulant, okay? In fact, when you turn over the bottle of uh, Riduzone, you're going to see, I think it's four ingredients total. The main substance is OEA. That's the main ingredient in olive oil. Um, it's an all-natural ingredient. Our bodies produce it. Even some of our pets produce it. It's just the older we get, the less of it we produce. And what it does is, on one hand, helps to stoke that metabolic rate. And then on the other, it kind of sends your body the signal that it's full. Stop eating. So you may have hit the wall and, and tried your best uh, this winter uh, to finally win the Battle of the Bulge. And you didn't get the response you were hoping for, the results you had counted on. And you just decided, now that spring is here, I, I'm done. Don't. Get back up off the mat. Give Riduzone a try. Um, instead of drinking a bottle of olive oil, that would give you the same OEA you get from just one capsule of Riduzone. And right now you get a whole bunch of capsules uh, of Riduzone for 30% off. A three-month supply, in fact. 30% off when you use my name as a promo code, Steve. When you go to Riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com.
We're going to have more on the uh, Uncle Joe Biden story on the roundtable today. How should we how should we treat these allegations uh, in a post Kavanaugh world? Um, because here's the other thing too. You also have there's plenty of photos and videos out there that are a little unsettling. Okay, you know that are a little more um, Uncle Chester the molester than Uncle Joe, if you know what I'm saying. So we'll get into that on the roundtable later today right here on The Blaze, so make sure you are tuned in for that. Um, A quick thought on the Beto is our Christ thing. This goes to something we talked about a couple of months ago. You're going to see more and more of this. Somebody asked me recently, are we seeing... um, uh, are are we seeing more and more cultish behavior in politics because of tribalism? No, the tribalism is actually the 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 opening salvo of cultic behavior. You know, this is where the group think is fermented, where you abandon your own individual principles, values, etc., uh, in order to justify your place or to justify your tribe or your place there with, with, with therein. That's actually the opening stages of cultic behavior is the tribalism. The secularism is what sets the stage for the cultism, not, not the tribalism. The secularism is. I mean, we have a great desire to worship. We are, we are programmed with it. It's that Blaise Pascal, God-shaped hole in the heart. And it's, it's why from the beginning of time, mankind has found something to worship. Since Adam and Eve were thrown out of Eden, since we've been east of Eden, we have longed for something to worship. And it's just a matter of whether that something is worthy of the worship or not. Not whether or not we're going to worship something. The atheist in and of himself is the ultimate fulfillment of ye be like God. He's essentially made his own pronouncement on the existence and worthiness of God, thus elevating himself effectively to whom? God. Okay, so all of us are worshiping something. And the more that we lose our relationship with our creator, we're going to create things in order to fill that void. And we're seeing the, they're, they're further along on the left than we are on the not left. But this is, this is emerging now on both sides and has been for quite some time. They're just at they're at the they're at advanced stages of this cancer they're, they're on the left. The the left is is at the hospice stage of this now, from a you know they're from a political cultic. But rest assured, if we don't see revival, the what's not left of America will build their own hospice to say our hospice of political cultic tribalism is better than yours. And what about yours? That's coming. All right, it is coming. Rest assured. We're not there yet. You know, we're a few years behind them. Yeah, but they're at the hospice stage. They've checked in the Hotel California, guys. I mean, you can, you know, check in anytime you like, but you can't ever leave. So you're going to see more of that. I actually applaud the individual who made that sign for his honesty. You know, when, when, when people like me started saying 10 years ago, this is where the left in America was going, they bristled at this. And thought they would just try and hijack the scriptures and, and my belief system and, and just hackney it up uh, to fit theirs. Now more and more, they're just saying, yeah, we're just going to just, you're right, we're, we're our own religion here. So that's an example of what I mean by spirit of the age progressivism. And, and what is, why did we 
add this phrase to our intellectual, philosophical, rhetorical assault on progressivism. Why, why did we add recently this phrase, spirit of the age? Because I think there, there, there's, there's many forms of things that even within the belief system of a, of a particular ideology or philosophy, within its orthodoxy, within its hermeneutic, it can take on many stages. For example, like in Islam, every Muslim is called to jihad. Jihad does not mean holy war, like most of you have been taught. That's an incorrect translation. What it actually means is the inner struggle. I guess if you want to put a finer point on it, my struggle is actually what jihad means. If you see what I did there, okay? That's what it actually means. It's the inner struggle. What inner struggle? The inner struggle every Muslim has to spread the dominion of Islam. There is no debate within Islamic orthodoxy that they are called to jihad. The debate is over the methodology of it. Is there a peaceful jihad or, um, you know, cultural... Um, do you, do you spread the dominion of Islam, uh, through influential means within a culture showing that, that it's a benefit to your culture to do it? Or do you do it violently? That's the debate. The debate is not over jihad. There is no Orthodox Islam on earth that does not preach jihad. There isn't. The debate is over the methodology of the jihad. You can, there, are, there are plenty of people within Christianity who would have what I would call a Trinitarian Orthodox view. But they come from a tradition that says they should, they should forsake modern technology, modern contraptions. Uh, they shouldn't involve themselves in contemporary cultural affairs and essentially live out lives, you know, Micah 6.8, kind of just living peaceably until Jesus returns. They would be called Anabaptists. You may know them from more modern terms like Amish, Mennonite, for example. Okay? So even within, a, within an individual movement's hermeneutic or orthodoxy, they may have differing approaches that are not, that may have the ultimate, the same ultimate existential goal, but they're not the same ultimate existential threat. Does what I'm saying make sense yeah. so far? Yeah. Same thing is true of progressivism. You may genuinely believe that human nature is basically good and that we should therefore frame public policy around that inherent belief. But that doesn't automatically mean that you sign up for the most cautionary and confrontational manner by which to advance these notions. In fact, you see a little bit of that in the clip of, of Chris Rock mocking Jesse Smollett. But then there's the spirit of the age progressivism. And that would be a sign like this. Beto is our Christ. That it's not just starting from the, from the opposite moral 
viewpoint of the, of, of the Judeo-Christian one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's in the Old and New Testaments. But if you don't accept that initial creedal statement, then you can be treated as a lesser. You can be marginalized. You're not an opponent, you're an enemy. And what's the difference between the two? An opponent is someone who wants to defeat you. An enemy is somebody who wants to end you. If you want to get an idea of what spirit of the age progressivism thinks about you, not what it thinks about itself, that's what the sign Beto is our Christ means. That's what it thinks about itself. But if you want to know what it thinks about you, look at the way the movie Unplanned was treated the last 72 hours. That's what it thinks about you. Spirit of the age progressivism isn't going to entertain a movie like this. It's going to try and silence it. It's going to try and shun it. It's the other. It, it can't occupy it, it. They believe in a law of physics. Two, two entities of equal and opposite weight, volume, and power cannot occupy the same space at once. Something has to go. So we won't take your ads. We'll give it an R rating. And, and then we will jack with it all weekend long on Twitter and, ha and offer no explanation as to why this is happening whatsoever. And in including an account suspension, which even the Hollywood Reporter, that would be an example of a progressive publication, right? I think so. Yeah, but even the Hollywood Reporter spoke up over the weekend on that and said, what, what, what the actual blank? What? what, what? Kind of with the same reaction Chris Rock had to Jesse Smollett is the same reaction the Hollywood Reporter <laughs> to, um, to the, the shunning of the movie Unplanned. And this went on all day yesterday and all evening. I started getting texts in the middle of the uh, after dinner time last night from friends of mine who were telling me they, they kept trying to follow the movie online and then they would go back to the Twitter feed and it would show them not following the movie. So I logged on. It showed that I wasn't following the film. I clicked follow. I go back to the page. I'm not, I did this three or four times. Same thing happened with me as well. It was telling you that it had like 213,000 followers, but there weren't actually any followers there. I mean, this went on for hours last night. So you can choose to believe that one movie, which just so happens to effectively step on the neck of a shibboleth of the damned, what is a sacrament to spirit of the age progressivism, killing children, just so happened to be an idle victim of resting glitch face on Twitter. You can, you can come to that conclusion. Okay. It got struck by lightning 7,000 times in one night. Or Occam's razor would ask, why did this keep happening to this particular film's account and no one else's? And Occam's Razor would say, whichever requires the fewest amount 
of fantastical assumptions to believe must be true. And if you have not yet seen this film, and you thought, you know what, I, I personally know the filmmakers, which I do. It's the same film company that bought the rights to my book, A Nefarious Plot. So I have a vested interest in the movie being successful. Yes, I do. I'm a pro-life activist, so I, I want this message to get out there and uh, and reach far and wide. Yes, that's all true. So if you thought, given those biases that I come into this um, belief in this movie with, if you thought I was over the top, don't take my word for it. Take the enemies, because he's letting you know. This is not another cheesy Christian film. A guy stopped me at the gym Saturday morning because he had gone to one of the uh, the family leader here. Our friend Bob Vanderplatz's organization bought out five theaters throughout the course throughout the state of Iowa and gave tickets away. And he went to one of their screenings, and he stopped me on Saturday morning at the gym, and he's like, "I got to be honest, man. I five minutes into this movie, I was hating you because I only went to this on your recommendation." And the way it starts off, I'm like, it's another cheesy Christian film. I had the same reaction the yep. first time I saw it. Yep. And I, I actually saw it, the filmmakers, they brought it here in the dead of January to give me the first rough cut look at it and a few of my buddies, including Mr. Vanderblotz, and to see, to see, you know, and then get our take on the film and where it was good, not, and how it could be marketed from there. In the first five minutes, my heart is just sinking. I got the same reaction Glenn Beck had to me a month later when he told me, I can't look another Christian filmmaker in the eye and tell him their movie sucks. I'm like, oh boy. And then when she gets to work and they say, hey, Abby, they need some help in the back room. Do you mind helping out? And from the moment she opens that door and walks in, this, this movie is many things. But it ceases being a cheesy Christian yep. movie at that point in time. All right. And that's why they're threatened by it. I read one pro-choice reviewer at a newspaper in Florida who said I, she couldn't believe the way that the Planned Parenthood workers were treated. They weren't all treated as one-dimensional story arcs, you know, as tropes. Um, they were treated for the most part. You know, every movie needs an antagonist, and that was the director. But the rest of the women that work there are treated honestly and respectfully. You you listen to what motivates them to do. See, that's because the truth is its own reward. The truth is its own reward. We don't we don't have to create caricatures and straw men. We don't have to sit around rooting for the president to be a Russian agent when we know 10 other things about him that would be discomforting enough, but that's not good enough. So we got to make him a Russian agent too. We don't need to do things like that. Abortion, if told, if the truth of it is just simply told of what it is and then what it does to the person and the persons involved in the aftermath, that truth will be its own reward. It will not return void. It's devastating enough. We don't have to forget that mercy triumphs over judgment. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do propaganda. Truth is its own reward. And that's why they're threatened by the film. If it was propagandist, if it was another cheesy Christian movie, if it was from one extreme to the other, none of the things that happened in that movie over the weekend would have occurred. But because, because it embodies 
that the law came through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ because there's law and gospel there. Oh, that is the elemental spirits of this world. It's the spirit of the age progressivism, Todd, could not abide the film. And that's why they tried to mess with it all weekend long. You know, you're accurate in your portrayal of the first five minutes. I almost wonder if that was intentional. I do think it was intentional. Because I did not know... You had not told me. I, I mean, I I knew the big scene with the ultrasound and when it finally broke Abby. I did not know it was going to come that quickly. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're telling you, oh, they're kind of giving you a tease and like, nope, don't even think for two seconds that this is going to be the movie mm-hmm. you worried perhaps it might be or think it might be. And it keeps, it, it's all the way. I, I mean, I, I was brought to the point of tears multiple times because of the way it shows throughout uh, the, the, the brutality. Uh, of abortion. And again, you're also correct, Steve, in how you're, uh, we're dealing with uh, real human beings. Human beings, the conflict they have within themselves, the way they can lie to themselves, the way they can go to work on Saturday and abort something like 30 babies, and then they have a baby shower afterwards. Mm. It, it, that's that's who we are. That's how broken we are. We can have that big of a lie going on in our lives. So when there's that big of a lie, Steve, uh, since uh, Chris Rock uh, was on, you're very big on the Rosa Parks principle. Sometimes, even when people tell you the rules, the rules you're supposed to follow, the way things are done, you just say, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's well said, Todd. And, um, you know, when we talk about spirit of the age, progressivism, rules for radicals is not necessarily a handbook that was breaking new ground. It is, in many ways, and the further I go in, in witnessing the left, the further I go, rules for radicals is not something that um, came to, into being. It pre-existed the book because this is inherent in progressivism. Anytime you try to get down to the issue and really have uh, a, a debate and just try to be honest, um, there's a, a thousand straw men uh, that are that are put right in front of you. What this movie does and why this bothers, I think, the left so much is because it is like when my roommate's dog poops on the carpet for the 25th time and I take her by the scruff of her neck and I shove her nose into what she just did. That's what this movie does with all of us for abortion. It takes you by the neck and it shoves your neck. Look at what you did. Look at what you allowed to happen. Uh, and your reaction is... Uh, make it stop. And you cannot ignore it in this movie. You can't go to, uh, well, pro, you can't go to this canard or that canard because you know what? The pro-lifers outside the abortion clinic in the film, they're not pr- portrayed all one way. They're not all portrayed mm-hmm. as uh, as uh, whitewashed. Or they're, they're not all portrayed as angels. Nobody uh, gets a free pass in this movie. You are granted all of the, um, all of the, the, the human, you know, the surface level, um, the surface level traits of just a typical human; those are all granted in this film. So there are no, uh, there are no canards. There is just look at what you allow to happen. Look at what this is. You can't look away, and you're you're left with many times through the movie. Just make it stop, make it stop, and that is why the pro aborts, not the pro choice. Yep. That's why the pro-aborts, Good distinction. the spiritual uh, spirit of the age progressives, hate this film. Yeah, I, I didn't stay through all the credits, so I didn't know until several of you contacted me that I was actually mentioned as, in the thank you section of the credits. I didn't realize it. I didn't really make a, you know, a huge contribution to this film. I, I did make one suggestion that they did incorporate, 
And when they brought the the rough the, the first draft of the rough cut here uh, in January, and then they gave us some of the aftermath um, that you know the building, the Planned Parenthood building that Abby Johnson worked at there uh, in Texas, is now the headquarters of Forty Days for Life. And they mentioned that as an aside, and I said, "Do you guys know the story? Is it Voltaire? Who am I thinking of of the French Revolution? Who led the reign of terror? And who came out and?" Um, uh, proclaimed that um, yeah. Robespierre, thank yeah. you, uh, Ron, back in my ear, thank you, was Robespierre, proclaimed that uh, he would live to see the day that uh, that the Bible would end, that the word of God would cease to be taken seriously. And decades after he died, the French chapter of the Geneva Bible Society bought his home, and they have been printing Bibles out of it ever since. Okay, and I I mentioned this to the filmmakers this this anecdote. I said you need to include that text at the end. You know, it, it, it's okay to let God call scoreboard. You know, particularly with such heavy subject matter, that you know to give the audience a rocky moment there in the text at the end. And that was literally my only suggestion. I mean, they they I could see right away when I saw the first draft of the film and then when I saw more of the editing in the second draft we showed at the blaze about a month and a half ago they didn't they didn't need my help guys they had a far more powerful force guiding their hand than any any advice I could offer from here in the cheap seats we'll come back uh, more live and on demand here on the blaze in a moment stay tuned <laughs> So late last year, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office released a grand jury report noting law enforcement there had received upwards of 2,000 complaints of deed fraud, and almost every case involved a so-called faulty notarization, meaning someone attempting to hijack somebody else's uh, home title. Uh, the problem is so bad, the grand jury described it in the report as a, quote, epidemic, uh, because criminals are looking for vulnerable properties. Uh, they scan the obituaries. They pour through public records. It can take as little as a forged deed to transfer ownership, and then it can be almost impossible to reverse once it happens. The title is transferred. The fraudsters maybe take out a mortgage, sell the property, uh, a HELOC. Uh, maybe they even rent it out. Um, you don't need to let this happen to you. Protect the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have for pennies a day with our friends at Home Title Lock. They will put a virtual barrier around your home's uh, title and mortgage. And you can, right now can find out, HomeTitleLock.com, register your home and learn if your title has already been targeted, stolen, compromised. HomeTitleLock.com, register there now. You'll get this free title scan and report that's normally a $100 value free today for our family at The Blaze. Just go to HomeTitleLock.com com that's home title bob vanderplatz joins us here from the family leader good to see you my friend how are you good to see you doing really well uh you guys sold out five theaters in iowa for unplanned on friday oh boy it's one of the i think it's one of the best things we've done as a ministry is uh, especially as regards to the life movement uh reserved five theaters all across the state sioux city west des moines two in west des moines cedar rapids and davenport all of them were full uh, I think as the people came out, they just told us how gripping it was, uh, disturbing, but also I think most for most of them, kind of their Popeye moment, 
of It's All I Can Stand, Can Stand you like No that More. Saying. I love that saying, by the way. <laughs> Aaron, what, who, what, what quote happens more often on this show? <laughs> yeah. Todd quoting Sean Connery from The Untouchables yep. or Bob's Popeye moment. What has happened more or times, do you believe? several of other Steves. <laughs> um, <laughs> the problem is, yeah. I've got like nine that I keep going yeah, to. Yeah, you yeah. guys keep going to the same ones. Well, no, okay? no, no, no. Even Mariano Rivera needed a second pitch. Never. Never. And Popeye, everybody, everybody at least in my era, understands what it is. But the, it, what it was, it was a call to action. It was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Uh, put me in coach. How, I like that one. Put me That's in coach. Better. That's right. better. Yeah. Uh, but staying in the gap for the life. Uh, and I think the, the movie's really doing that. So congratulations to those guys. Thanks for doing it. Well, let's get to what we're going to have you come on and talk about with us here today. Because uh, the, the president has some wind at his back politically with the Mueller probe concluded. And, I, you know, you weren't here last week. So before we go to your suggested advice for where his presidency should go next, when you saw, what was your instant reaction when you saw the outcome like no one thought would be the outcome of this? An outright vindication. And again, we should note, we have not yet seen the Mueller report, but I, I, I have got to believe that if, if his old... Uh, longtime friend and his church friend, uh, Bob, uh, Bob Barr, the AG, was misrepresenting the, his findings. I've, I've got to believe Robert Mueller would have spoken so, up. Somebody would have said something. Right. Okay. So based off of what we have been privy to, the outcome no one thought would occur, we sat here and talked about for two hours last Monday, and that was an outright vindication. Your reaction when you saw that was what? Well, when I saw, first of all, there's no more indictments. I saw that there's going to be vindication for for President Trump. It was one of those, it really was a mixed emotions. One was where I just wanted to laugh out loud. Because, I mean, I've been watching CNN. You know that. I tell you all the time. I watch CNN more than I watch Fox because I want to see what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And, boy, these guys have been for, you know, arguably two years in just basically this hysterical panic of what is next, what's the next shoe to drop. I mean, I for a while after watching CNN, I thought you know Trump might go to jail. I mean, th- 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 this is really bad stuff. And then to see it was kind of this two years of you know there's nothing there. I mean, there's it's a vindication of it. But then it really got to be be this is really exposing people for who they are. It is exposing about what they want. They didn't want to concede yet the outcome of that election. Hillary should be president, not Trump should be president. Mm-hmm. Our our worldview should be winning, not your worldview should be winning. And it really made a thing like not only is tolerance and religious liberty a one-way street, but free speech is a one-way street today, meaning this is our agenda. We're going to slam it down. We're going to cast the narrative because we want it to be true. We want America to believe it's true. So, therefore, we're going to double down on it. And then to see Mueller coming out after all this props of how great Mueller is from the CNN crowd, the MSNBC crowd, because they thought for sure something was going to come be big coming out of this, and now to see them – you know, you watch it, it's, they're deflated. It is fascinating, the perspectives you get by watching um, whatever your news source is. Uh, what you think, you know, if you think, if you were watching CNN, um, you know, and, and, and CNN has evolved. I mean, there was a time, maybe even as recent as during the, the 2016 primary, where you almost felt because you knew Fox was in the tank first for for Walker Jeb and then for Rubio and then for Trump, 
um, you almost felt like CNN was maybe more objective. You sure. Know, uh, in terms of covering that horse race and MSNBC just every, hated everybody with an R after their name. But, you know, how's that how that seems to have evolved since the Trump presidency is in MSNBC's case, they are an advocate for uh, spirit of the age progressivism. So, you know, they, they'd like the president to be a Russian stooge, but they can come up with all kinds of other reasons to hate on him and, and broadcast that hate to their audience because they oppose his base of supporters on a fundamental philosophical level. CNN felt, and of course, Fox is going to give you, and there's always exceptions, a couple, you know, you have your Shepard Smiths, for example, at a Fox, but so we, but we mean this in, for the, for the most part. Sure. Fox, of course, is going to give you the most sympathetic view of the day's events through the prism of, of the president and his agenda and his supporters. And then you have CNN, which it just felt like they really needed the president to be a Russian agent. Yeah. Like they, like, you know, they just, they had to have that, that like that, like that, that this was their desire to create this self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you were in the white house now, and I asked you this question yesterday, and I said, Hey, I want to put you on the president's political team. Sure. And, and you have been given vindication that probably nobody not on the payroll at Fox thought you were ever going to get. And most of them, when they thought you were going to get vindicated, Maybe not have even been sure it was going to come this clearly uh-huh. from the same Robert Mueller they spent two years destroying, right? So here we sit now. Now it's time to govern, okay, right? Time to govern. You got a window here because when we get into next year, it'll be all election all the time, mm-hmm. right? So you have a window here to try to govern or at least govern in a way that sets your presidency up for a successful reelection. And you've got some newfound political capital legitimacy, correct? All right. So I asked you, if you were in the White House and you were in the political wing of the White House, what advice would you be giving the president? So we got, we've got those. All right. We're going to go through those one by one and we're going to let you comment on them. Okay. So here's your first piece of advice of how the president and the presidency should behave in a post Mueller world. Number one, you want them to stay on offense. Oh, big time. I mean, we're in the NCAA Final Four right now. And when you have a team on their heels, when, when, you, when you're making shots that the other team didn't expect you to make shots, uh, whatever it might be, but you got them on their heels, now you double, double down. Stay on offense. This is no time to take off the full-court press. You double down on the full-court press. You start running more traps than you ever wanted to run before. But you stay on offense because you've got some serious new cred at your back. When he made that comment, I could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and they'd still vote for me. Well, now you think about where people are at today after they see the CNN's exposed, the MSNBC's exposed, the others exposed. Because this isn't just about against Trump. You said it well in, in the comment right before this. This is against us. This is against our values. This is against these. There's a whole segment of America that these guys don't want to exist. So right now, stay on offense and smile while you're doing it because you're winning. So today he's threatening to shut down the border. Would you advise him to do that? Sure. Well, why not? I mean, this is part of doubling down. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I'd go for a tax cut. You never thought you could get a tax mm-hmm. cut or tax reform that you never thought you could have. I would completely defund Planned Parenthood right now. Completely. I'd do it almost unilaterally. Executive-wise, we're taking out all money for Planned Parenthood. Why? Because you have got street cred and you've got options now that you've never had before. 
So right now, I'd say this is a time to go for broke because your base is now with you bigger than life. And not just your base, but it's an expansion of your base. Because all those who are kind of sitting in the middle, waiting on, okay, what is this report going to be? What, what's going to come out of this thing? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden to see completely the exposure for what it was, a lot of those people just joined your base as well. All right. Your second piece of advice for how the Trump presidency should behave in a post-Muller vindication world, um, go big, which you, you kind of alluded to this, but more than you ever thought possible. So let's take this now, since we've already generally touched on it, let's more specifically touch on it. You have the GOP smart set is is waving their hands and all kinds of you know stop signs. Don't go back to the healthcare issue. It's a loser. Nate Silver at five thirty eight says it's a stupid issue for the president to touch upon. Um, would do you agree with that? Is that a absolutely dumb issue? Not. No. You think he should absolutely go for broke on an issue? Like absolutely that. go for broke on healthcare. I mean, we said we were going to completely take away. We we're going to uproot every word of Obamacare. Wasn't that our, our saying mm-hmm. back there? That mm-hmm. we we're going to take out every word. We we're going to reestablish healthcare between the patient and the doctor and the private system. So why not take out every word right now? I would go after that. And so to me, that's a thing of saying, listen, the Nate Silvers, the establishment, they're waving their hands. They're like, oh, no, no, okay, we, we, we've done it now. That's a plan not to lose. You play not to lose, and you become the Hawkeyes versus Nebraska, and you give up 16 points in the last minute, and all of a sudden you get beat at Nebraska. I don't think that's a good strategy. I would double down on – I said defund Planned Parenthood, the health care debate, the border debate. You've got a lot of debates you can win right now. This is a chance for him to advance more red, white, and blue conservative values that are all-time American than I think any president's ever had. All right. Your third piece of advice for the president, post Mueller, expose motives slash real agenda. What do you mean by that? I mean, he's been brilliant at it already, so I won't stop. Uh, keep exposing what what the real motives are of the CNNs, of the MSNBCs, of the Cory Bookers, of the of the Omar, the Cortezes. Expose why are they saying this stuff? And he's been great at it. And they they keep following it and they keep running after it. But what he's doing, he's exposing. He's also exposed the establishment, those who are wearing our jersey or pretend to be on our team. But frankly, they want to get rid of us as well. Keep exposing these these basically frauds, these phonies, these people who either they, they really don't want America, they just want Trump to lose, and they want us to lose and be taken away, and those who, conti- who continue to wear our jersey, but they're not with us either. Your final piece of advice for the president, post Mueller, make the ideas of Ilan Omar, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, make them the face of the opposition party. That's part of exposing who they are. I, I, I don't care who you're running against. Uh, if it's Biden, if it's Booker, if it's Harris, whoever it is that you may be ending up running against, if it's a Harris-Beto ticket, I saw one of those out today, of, you know, that might be the best ticket to take down Trump. I think it was Steve Bannon saying that. Uh, and although Bannon said he didn't think anybody's going to take down Trump right now. But whoever they put up against you, make Omar, make Cortez, make the hashtag Me Too moment, make all of this stuff. And just keep exposing it. Keep exposing it. Because now they're using the hashtag Me Too moment against who? Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Well, they they want to take down their own as well. Because we always said Biden won't be near as progressive as they want him to be. So therefore, let's eliminate him for a whole nother reason. So I would say keep making them the face of their party. This is the direction they want to take America. 
No more planes, no more cars, no more cattle, no more anything. I, I said a few weeks ago that if I were you know, running the president's reelect, I'd take a million right now or a half million, which is a pretty substantial ad buy uh, for the state of Iowa, the size of our media markets. And I'd run a con- commercial and it starts off with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, I'm the boss now. Okay? Yeah. Her saying that. And it would just be... Um, about uh, Ilan Omar, uh, you know, shut defund homeland security, anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, the only reason to support Israel is uh, you're paid off by the uh, uh, the crooked Jews. Uh, all of Ocasio Cortez's uh, Marxist uh, beliefs, uh, and and I would I would douse the airwaves in Iowa with that ad for the purposes of putting every Democratic presidential candidate in the place that they either have to affirm that. And you can see that they don't want to have to walk this tightrope. They all voted president on the Green New Deal last week. So you put them in the corner of they either affirm this, which, you know. Then they become the face of of those guys. They they support that face. Or they split their own party, you know, by trying to sister soldier those people. But either way, that's a, that's a, that's a catch 22. I'd make that my, I'd I'd be running those ads into oblivion in Iowa for the next few months. If I were on the president's reelect team, I I definitely think they should be positioning, whether it be through ad buys or through other things. I think even the family leader, we're going to start pointing out some of the crazy things and saying, okay, we're, 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 do all of you believe this stuff? Mm -hmm. Because this is not, this is against a biblical worldview. This is about shutting up God's word ultimately. So let's put some people on record about what do they believe, what don't they believe. But I think you're exactly right. You put in no more cars, no more planes, no more cattle. Run that in the state of Iowa. Uh, the only reason you support Israel is because you're paid off to support Israel. There's nothing about Genesis 12.3. There's nothing about you know why you'd why we'd want to link arms with it with the nation of Israel. I think keep putting them in that position. I think it only helps. And then not only in Iowa, but I start doing it about every toss-up state as well, the ones that they're traveling to beyond Iowa. Bob, good to see you, man. Good to see you guys. Appreciate it. God bless. Hey, do you have itchy ears, ear pain, or that plugged-up feeling? Are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves if these problems sound familiar? You could be like millions of Americans that will be forced to visit the doctor for a professional ear cleaning at some time this year. But now, what if I were to tell you you don't have to because you can get the exact same professional results in the comfort and convenience of your own home. No doctor, visit, waits, expensive trips, copays. Not only that, but now you can also get this without a prescription too. It's called WaxRx. It uses physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then will soothe the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. And you can try the WaxRx system risk-free today, right now. Just Go to usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. That's usewaxrx.com, offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Todd, what's your uh, thoughts on the advice Bob had a minute ago for well, the president? I agree completely with Bob on how many fronts Trump should now be fighting on to make the Democrats work to keep up. That was my advice, if you recall, before Trump even became, once after he was elected, how he should proceed with his presidency. Don't give the Dems opportunity with just one issue to circle the wagon. Step on the gas now on multiple fronts. And that also, you know, that blitzkrieg style makes it difficult for them to 
uh, to stay on one unifying yeah. yep. message of Trump bad. Uh, and, and here's what that also does, too. It diversifies your portfolio. Yeah. Because if what you guys offer up uh, on your side as the alternative to this is, you know, another lukewarm Mitt Romney special, and you can tell healthcare is going to be a disaster, you just get off the healthcare issue, Aaron, and you just go to the three or four issues that yep. are really uh, itching some ears right now. The last point, the last piece of advice that Bob gave, um, I like the distinction. I don't know if you intended this, Bob, but I like the distinction uh, that you made. Make the ideas of Ocasio-Cortez and Ilan Omar, the face of the Democratic Party. Their personality, personally to me, I don't know what they're like to other people, but to me, their personalities are already beyond grading. Don't make this about their personalities. Make it about the issues and make those even more grading than their personalities. That's how you get real gain. That's how you get beyond what we call a clickservitism. That's how you get beyond just winning an election. That's how you actually can change public policy with that, that type of rhetoric, but that's also requires discipline. And it's kind of an art uh, trying to separate the already grading personality from the issues. I think that's something that's extremely uh, important, not just for the president to do, but for anybody serious about advancing policy. Well, I think it's great advice, but it's also not always congruent with the atmosphere and environment the president feels the most comfortable in. He, yep. he seems to feel much more comfortable your personality versus mine, your persona versus mine. So we shall see. Hour two is next. back with hour two alive and on demand on the blaze i am steve dace todd and aaron are here with me if you'd like to join us let us know what you think about what we think steve at stevedace.com is the email address you can like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve dace show if you are listening today uh via the blaze radio but especially via the podcast the last name is spelled d-e-a-c-e and if you are on the podcast if you could do us one extra favor today give us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice Thank you uh, to the thousands of you that have done this already, and we could always use more. So please keep those coming. The more of those we get from folks like you, the more opportunities we have to find more people just like you. So we appreciate that. Coming up a little bit later on, in fact, in uh, in a few minutes, we're going to continue uh, the study of my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believed or Our Own Demise. But right now, there are 50 million kids attending America's government schools. And the left's not even trying to hide it anymore. They have made it clear their intention is to indoctrinate as many of those kids uh, into their ideology as they possibly can. And it's not just the philosophy, but it's the skill level. I mean, real-world skills like reading, writing, arithmetic, and American history have been replaced by social justice, gender confusion, test-driven instruction. Thankfully, you've got a choice, and that's why Freedom Project Academy was created. Freedom Project Academy is an accredited classical online school built on Judeo-Christian values for students in kindergarten all the way through high school. And Freedom Project Academy has taken the interaction of the traditional classroom and created an online atmosphere where students across the country are instructed by live teachers in small virtual classrooms, and the students are taught how to think, not what to think. If you want to learn more, go to freedomforschool.com and request a free information packet today. Freedomforschool.com. That's freedom for school. Freedomforschool.com. 
I want to go back to what we said at the end of the last hour. Okay. And, um, uh, I want to make a historical analogy. In life, but especially in politics, vindication and victory aren't always the same. Sometimes they are. A lot of times they might be, but they're not always the same. And especially in politics, you can have one without the other. And the reason why, if you look at when... You've watched this split happen. It's because the party that was given one mistake, mistaked it. Is that, is that a word? Mistook it. Mistook. Uh, mistook it for the other. They, they conflated the terms. Or they thought they were, that because they had one, it was inherent they would get the other. Um, let me give you an example. The, 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 not victorious re-election campaign of George Herbert Walker Bush in 1992. To this day, he remains some, he remains the only president, victorious wartime president, not to be re-elected in American history. In fact, um, he received the smallest percentage of the popular vote of any uh, president up for re-election in modern American political history since the two-party system. Um, I think only Taft, who also faced a third-party challenger in Teddy Roosevelt, had less or thereabouts. I think Taft and Bush are about the same. And if, you know, when Iraq surrendered, the first Iraq war, Aaron won't be, wasn't alive. You and I were in high school. We had friends, you know, that were in the classes ahead of us that went and fought in this war. We'll yeah. remember it well. If, if I would have called Rush Limbaugh's show the day after Iraq surrendered, and if I would have predicted not only would George Herbert Walker Bush not get reelected, but he would have a historically low percentage of the American popular vote in the mid-30s, 37%, I think, is what he got. What would Rush's reaction have been that day? Oh, you're nuts. I mean, this is... Because he's following immediately on Ronald Reagan. I mean, this thing is going to roll. It's roll tide time. We're just going to keep plowing through history. And he would have been right. Yes. In fact, you know who also felt that way? The Democrats did. Hmm. Mario Cuomo didn't run. Uh, Dick Gephardt. All their big names passed, remember. And, you know, they had this near-to-well governor of Arkansas who who was a young, promising Southern Democrat and then got thrown out of office on his first reelect as governor of Arkansas and then had to come back and was constantly tainted by scandal. Al Gore, all the big names didn't run in 1992. They didn't think they could beat a wartime president. Can, and at the time that, that, you know, when that war, when that war was won was in the winter of 1991. So you're looking at the months it would take to do the ramp up and the built up to do a national campaign would have been during that time period. But the Iowa caucus is coming in less than a year. And that's why this guy came out of nowhere, this former governor who was from a yesteryear named Paul Songus. And he was going to be, he's the, he's the character Larry Hagman plays in the Primary Colors movie. It's based on Paul Songus or the book, which is, you know, the, it's a retelling of the 1992 Democratic presidential primary. 
So a lot of these big names didn't run they didn't, because the, at the time they needed to make their call, they thought, I'm not going to go out there and run into a buzzsaw against a wartime victorious president. I'm not going to do that. The problem George Herbert Walker Bush had is he had already violated his no new taxes pledge. That had actually occurred the year before. And he had already shown that, you know, everybody, human beings, none of us are perfect. We all have strengths and weaknesses, areas where we are stronger and feel more comfortable. A president who was a war hero, former head of the CIA, the vice president over the, of, the, of the presidency that won the Cold War, he was always more comfortable on that front than he was guiding domestic politics, particularly because he inherited, Bush largely inherited a domestic policy agenda he didn't agree with, guys. Remember the term voodoo economics to describe Reagan's supply side and the laugh, Reagan's belief in the Laffer curve and Milton Friedman's libertarian economic views? Do you know who coined that phrase? I do. You remember? Who was yeah. it? It was Bush. It was George Herbert Walker Bush coined that phrase. He thought it was voodoo economics. It's not the way the system works. Has to be a top down. He was he was another Nixonian style of a Republican, a small p progressive. You know, he when he said we're going to be kinder, gentler, Reagan was too harsh, too condemning, too willing to draw moral lines. So whenever it, whenever his presidency delved into domestic politics, he was largely not comfortable because he was given a legacy that he didn't necessarily share with his own views. That's why he's going to be the first environmental president. Remember he said that? Okay. He was much more comfortable in the foreign theater where it seemed still the good guys and the bad guys were very well articulated. And so he took his victory And never really got vindication for his presidency because he didn't capitalize on it. You can even look at it the other way. He was vindicated in the stance that he took against Saddam Hussein, but it didn't lead to electoral victory later on. In fact, not only did he not win, but he had kind of reverted back to his wimpy persona that he was accused of, you know, when he ran in the primary against Bob Dole. In 88, he had kind of reverted back to that. Remember, he was at the premier, the prime minister of, of Japan, and he throw up all over him or something at a state dinner. The whole story that he didn't know what a, a supermarket checkout counter scanner was, which is that story's fake news. It's been debunked a million times, but it was promulgated as if it was real. What was real was the time that he looked at his watch in a debate as if I've got other things to do around here. Okay. What's that have to do with the conversation with Trump? These are observations, not judgments, what I'm about to say. I'm just reading the signs of the times, man. I'm, just, I'm not in charge of the weather. I'm just giving you the atmospheric conditions. The president is much more at home with personality conflicts and contests. I think he's actually grown to like issue fights. He's taken the language on late-term abortion beyond what I thought he would go, using terms like executing children and things of that nature. 
But what you find with the president is that if there's not an immediate win or a place to gain an immediate advantage, at least immediate leverage on policy, he tends to move on and revert back to the personality conflict, which has made him a star, which has made him a billionaire, which has made him the brand that he is, is that he knows most people in that realm, he's going to beat them at that. He's comfortable there. The problem with that, though, is this election is not going to be decided by people who agree with him and enjoy those personality conflicts. He already has all those votes. And he's probably not going to change anybody's minds that don't like that act either. They're probably already factored in too. This election is going to be decided by people who largely don't care about that, who don't watch the rallies on TV, would not be caught dead at one. Don't care. Don't trust like most politicians. Don't believe Orange Man is bad or that Cheeto Jesus saves. To reach those kinds of voters, you're going to have to get them a message that make, give them a message that makes them care. And if you go back to the very beginning of January, I said that if I were in the president's political operation, if I was running his reelect, everything we do as a White House between now and the 2020 election, every every policy position, the way we message it, everything we do is based around provoking this question. To that suburban white woman, what do you dislike more? The president's tweeting at 4 a.m. or the direction the Democrats want to take the country in the next four years? That may be irreversible for the next 40 afterwards. Right? Yeah. I started the year off saying this should be the whole paradigm of the strategy, if I were in charge, would be around if we're not provoking that debate, because we're going to win that debate if we provoke it. We're going to win it. Here's the thing, though. We, we, we can't win a debate we don't provoke. If we provoke that debate, meaning we, if I were in the White House, if we, if we provoke that debate, we're going to win it. But we, we aren't going to win a debate we don't provoke. Because if the conversation is only, what do you think of the president's Twitter account? We aren't going to win that debate. We're not. They ran socialist in all those suburban house districts last year. And how many of them did they win? Almost every single one, guys. Almost every house district they could potentially win, they won. This is another version of Trump needs a foil. Yes. On his own, he provokes Good point. to stay in disgust. Mm-hmm. Running against Hillary Clinton, he's, oh, well, that he's not her. You got to reset that. Yep. And, but, the, but here's the thing. Lock her up. Didn't win him the presidency, guys. It sold out a rally, but it doesn't win him the presidency. He went to the issue of the border. He, yeah, went to the issue. He had issues. The border. Um, I'm going to appoint pro-life justices that are going to overturn Roe v. Wade. You know? It sounds like he's throwing that chum on the water right now with Amy Comey Bear. You know what? I would do this. I mean, I, I would. I love what Bob said about doubling down. I'd have. I would tomorrow, the next day. I would announce 
that Amy Coney Barrett will be my nominee for the next liberal justice yeah. that retires or can't finish their term. Let all the vetting and everything happen now. Let them make yes. them go crazy yep. right now. Yep. Right now. Make legitimate, uh, legitimate martyrs. Yes. Do it right now. I do it now. I mean, I love the idea. Whatever you're going to do, go all the way with it. Because they're going to, they're going to call you every name in the book, whether you show any, what, if you want to do Mitt Romney's form of health care, they're going to, which we know what that looks like because we saw Massachusetts. You want to do Mitt Romney's moderate solution, you're, you're, you're still a racist. You're still a xenophobe. You still are a homophobe that, you know, um, your only argument with the Sultan of Brunei's sodomy policy is he didn't enact it sooner, right? No matter what you do. You're a homophobe with, you know, um, a, a, a prominent gay ambassador. You're, uh, you're an anti-Semite with a daughter who converted to Judaism and a son-in-law who's your co-president who's Jewish, right? No matter what you do, this is what they're going to say about you. So, dude, put all your chips in every time. Every time. Every time Trump ought to treat every single issue like it's a, it's a Manhattan property he's trying to acquire. Every one of them. Start by going all in, and you can always take chips out later to get the deal done. But start going all in on everything. Because you're going to get all the same crazy. So as our buddy Daniel Horowitz likes to say, if you're going to get the stinger, get some of the honey. You're going to get all the stinger from all your detractors anyway. So you might as well get some of the honey from those people there that want to see, are you worth the baggage to me? Do you do something for me? Because the president's going to get the votes of everybody that wants elections to be about Donald Trump. He needs to get the votes of people that want the election to be about them and their interests and what they want. Some of them may just want, their their expectations are so low, they just want to see the people that they can't stand and are trying to screw them melt down and get what's coming to them. It could be just as simple as that. Yeah. But that's still, you're feeding their desires, not yours. Now, what the president, despite his narcissism, has done masterfully. Drove me nuts when I was on the cruise campaign, how he kept pulling this off. Is despite his narcissism, he has a way of communicating it to you that makes you feel like you're, you're, the, you're getting a residual benefit to this. You know? I get a residual benefit to Trump taking on Mexico over the border. I get no residual benefit to Trump versus Adam Schiff. I don't even know what an Adam Schiff is. You guys know, you people watching know, how many of your suburban neighbors know what the hell an Adam Schiff is? Almost none. Almost none. Is that that character on Futurama? Exactly. What was the poll last week? Outside of white people on Twitter, regardless of their political orientation, nobody knows who Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is. Which is exactly why I'd be dumping a million dollars into ads in Iowa, making everybody know who she is. If it was me, that's what I'd be doing. All right, we'd be running against Elon Omar, Omar and Ocasio. I said that what, what Bob said here and thirty minutes ago. I said that on this show a month ago. We'd be running against those people right now, right now. I'd make them household names. I'd make them Willie Horton. If we tie this back together to the George Herbert Walker Bush era, so the president has received vindication. But that doesn't guarantee, vindication does not guarantee political victory. And a lot of times in politics, you'll have one without the other. Bill Clinton's presidency's never been vindicated because of all the scandals. But he has political victory. 
He got away with it and he got reelected. He remained nationally relevant. It's rare you get both in politics. Vanderplatz is correct. This is, as Margaret Thatcher once said, this is no time to go wobbly, George. This is now the time that you press the advantage. They are stunned and shocked at what Robert Mueller came back with a week ago. I, I, I'd get off the Mueller topic, actually. Let them be the ones talking about it. Let, let them be the ones still talking about the game you won last week. There's a game this week. You're focused on winning that game this week. Let them talk about it. Thoughts, gentlemen? Well, you know, I agree with you. Uh, it just, I don't expect it to happen. And I, I didn't expect it when we were talking about it, uh, with Bob. I, that's the problem. It's, it, it's so obvious as to be almost inarguable, but it's, it's not just Donald Trump's instincts. It's also the people around him. Uh, it's the political party around him. Too. Yes. Well, I know that. that that's, that's, that's beyond. Yes. He, Trump has shown little stomach for taking on the Republican party. I think that's been the weakest part of his entire presidency. Okay. And so when he wa- when he runs out there, we've actually shown he has a propensity to run out into the sh- middle of the street when we've asked him to. Many times he's actually done it. But the minute he runs out there and sees no. Team GOP is not there, he has a tendency that, to go right back to 16 or Pennsylvania and that, Avenue and, and you know, start making him. up pillory nicknames all him. over again. That's on him. Agreed. I agree. I'm just saying, I'm not, no, no, I'm no, I'm not trying to give him excuses. You I'm, aren't. I agree. I, it's a symbiotic relationship. Yes. Okay. And so there are very few, outside of his desire to please you people in our audience, once he gets over that desire, the influences to, to get him to sustain that desire all begin working against pleasing you. Okay. And that's why he has shown the initial inclination to try and do it. And then the minute there's any pushback, from his own party, he has a tendency, Aaron, to push to to go back. Yeah, and we saw see, we saw this. I think in the last omnibus, we had those stories. Speaking of people around him, we had those stories about how uh, White House staff were making sure that Angel Moms were not able to see uh, President Trump before he signed the omnibus because they right. were really worried Good that, point. <laughs> that Trump would listen to them and say, "I don't want to sign this anymore." Yep, uh, that's that's a case in point there. Uh, but something. If you're looking for maybe some uh, positivity or maybe some reasons for hope, which with Donald Trump, it is just there is no there's no real um, there's no real pattern to follow other than what you just pointed out in general terms. But if you're looking for some um, some some reason to hope that he can actually be disciplined, pin the ideas of progressives like Ilan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, make them the face of the Democrat Party. Um, there is what we talked about on Friday with the FISA warrants and Trump agreeing all those months ago, I think it's almost been a year ago, not to declassify those because then the Mueller investigation would have probable cause or something like that to say that he was trying to obstruct justice. Mm-hmm. So he decided not to do that and decided to wait instead. That took some discipline. How many times, though, have we been able to say that about Donald Trump and, and um, having some strategy against the left? Not very often. It's just uh, it is just all the personality all the time, unless there's some t- some opportunity to gain an immediate advantage, as you just said. 
Uh, one of those things would be tweeting about Unplanned for all of his millions of followers to see. Um, again, the good thing about the bully pulpit is that he has the uh, ability to make, to set the agenda, to set the agenda of what everybody's going to be talking about for the next news cycle or the next two or three news cycles. Um, but again, as Todd alluded to, it's on him whether or not he wants to use that for good or just use that for saying uh, Little Marco or Lion Ted. Really quickly, you know, Aaron makes a perfect point about Unplanned. They were at the Unplanned site that we're talking about following an Unplanned. But they, uh, Ashley Bratcher actually, I think, specifically, was begging the president to the pick The lead this, actress. Yes, yeah. to pick this up. To my knowledge, he did not. I could be wrong no, about that. Vice President not, Pence has. He is not. He is not. But there have been members of the cabinet. The vice president, I know, has seen the film. Yep. I know Ben Carson saw the film. There have been members of the administration that I know have seen the film and vowed they would try to get the president's, get it on the president's radar. The point being, to the extent this administration does or doesn't pick up obvious moments like this, that it doesn't have to manufacture out of thin, they're just being put in their lap, you, you, they're not eating the chicken sandwich. And it is deeply on them if they don't. I, I agree that the Mueller, the, the outcome of the Mueller probe and the vindication therein improves greatly his prospects for re-election. Okay. Yeah. But that's because it changes, it makes for a more favorable environment for him to get re-elected. Correct. If he doesn't therefore act upon it, um, it's a little bit like, you know, your kid wanted a new car for their 16th birthday or a car for their 16th birthday. And they were asking about it since they got their learner's permit. The fact that they got good grades, um, they did the things that you asked them in the lead up to the, this moment, improved the odds that you would you would honor this request, right? And, and buy them the car for their 16th birthday. You then bought them the car. But if they never take the keys from you and put it in the ignition and drive it away, did they, is it really their car? This is, this is exactly the outcome that he needed. But in and of itself, it will not guarantee or it will, it, it, the, the, the change in really one state because there's going to be 75 million crises, fake and otherwise. Already doesn't it seem like the Mueller probe ended like a, a year ago and it was last week. Yep. It was last week. That's every week. And then, yes. <laughs> yeah. That and that goes to what you were saying last hour, which is um hit, you know, attack on multiple angles at once rather than just one thing at a time. But if you don't take advantage of the moment that you have, you know, the Iraq war ended in what, March of nineteen ninety one. People weren't gonna vote until November of nineteen ninety two. If the election were in April of nineteen ninety one, do you think George H. W. Bush would have won? Uh, yes. Convincingly. If the presidential election were tomorrow, tomorrow, Tuesday, do you think Donald Trump would win? Yes. Yeah, probably. I do. I do think he would win. Okay. Is the election tomorrow? No. no. Was George H.W. Bush's election in April of 1991? No. No. Now, you got to do a lot of things wrong to lose a presidential election after winning a war. But they did a lot of things wrong for the next year and a half after that. We got about a year and a half here. That's another reason why I use this analogy. Timetable's pretty similar. Okay, there, they could do a lot of things wrong for the next. Another North Korea. Don't see. You don't already do, you, do another North Korea summit, man. Okay, don't even say it out loud then. Unless there's been a coup, and and he's been Hussein. Okay, 
don't do another North Korea summit, for example. Okay. There are things that they could do, a lot of things they could do wrong for the next year and a half. And then there's the opportunity cost lost. You, I, I, I'm just telling you, and I know you won't hear this from a lot of places outside of a place like the Blaze in our industry because it doesn't pay well to say this. But there aren't any voters left. There's, there, there's no one who's going to get up the first Monday or the first Tuesday in November of 2020 and say, you know, for the last five years, I've been subjected to this president's shtick. And I just really wasn't sure what I thought about it. And you know, after thinking about it, he's funny as hell. And I'm going to, no, 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 no. That voter doesn't exist. You have all those people. You have all the four-dimensional chess people. You have them all. There's a lot of votes, though, you ought to be getting who don't want to be ruled by Communist Party USA. But if you don't fashion a message to them that they would actually, I believe, be more receptive to now in light of the Mueller thing, because a lot of them are the same people in these polls saying to the Democrats, move on. So you have credibility with them. Make your, make your presidency raise the stature and credibility of your presidency. I think that advice I gave several months ago is even more prevalent now because of the vindication you have with the Mueller probe. You have all the more room for upward mobility where this is concerned now. And you can really, the, the higher the stature that people see of the Trump presidency, the more isolated the Democrats are with their Marxism. It's, that is a symbiotic relationship too. The amount of Marxism people are willing to tolerate from the Democratic Party is directly correlated to how much stature and respect they have for the Trump presidency. And the, the lower the stature and respect they have for the Trump presidency, the more they're willing to put up with an alternative they otherwise would never have thought of a few years ago. And it's the other way around, too. And every election, by the way, is like that. Could Donald Trump, given what came out about him and the way he behaved, would he have beaten Barack Obama in 2016 if Barack Obama was able to run again? No. No. He would not have. On the other hand, would Hillary Clinton have lost even worse if Republicans had nominated somebody that didn't have all that baggage? Yeah. Elections are always symbiotic relationships because most people do view them as a binary choice. Most people do view them as an either or. And so what they like and are willing to tolerate from one usually directly correlates to what they dislike and won't tolerate from the other and vice versa. Right now, the president is in control of that math. He can make it work for him. But he may regret if he doesn't take advantage of that the next few months, he may regret that 12 months from now. More in a moment. Hey, if you're thinking of buying or selling a home this year, and it is that time of year, it is spring. So home buying and selling season is kicking into full swing. That's why you want to check out Real Estate Agents I Trust. It's a company, Glenn Beck and his associates started a few years ago because they were tired, incredibly frustrated even, uh, at real estate agents who talked a good game but then didn't deliver the goods when they were needed to the most. Um, and, you know, a lot of these referral services uh, are different from what you get at Real Estate Agents I Trust because those are really about 
uh, finding customers for the agents. Like one of them I heard advertised recently is supported by uh, the National Association of Realtors, for example. I mean, that, that, they're they're advocating for realtors, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I'd rather err on the side of somebody who's advocating for me, the customer. And that's where realestateagentsitrust.com, that's where they come in, and that's what sets their site apart. This is about empowering you, the customer, you, the buyer, you, the seller, uh, and, and doing it with agents that have been vetted, that have been held accountable, that are transparent about the results that they get. So if you want to check this out for yourself, if you want to this year, buy or sell for fast and for the right price. Do it with the team at Real Estate Agents I Trust. Go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to it. We continue our study in my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, available at bookstores right next to Kamala Harris's everywhere. Or you can just get your copy right now at Amazon.com. And if you have had a chance to read it, if you would leave us a five-star review at Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate that. Gentlemen, this week we are on lie number six. We can successfully primary these progressive Republicans, but here's the truth bomb. If you ain't got Fox News, Drudge, and Rush Limbaugh helping you take on the system, you've got nothing, and you're wasting your time. Now, I will add one caveat to this truth bomb. When this book was written, when it was finished, uh, about a year ago now, the idea that two decent-sized conservative media platforms would merge into one that would now easily have the the second uh, biggest conservative media platform in the industry, according to industry uh, analysts, wasn't on the horizon, okay? Uh, which has happened here with the company that we're part of now, Conservative Review and uh, The Blaze have merged, CRTV and The Blaze have merged. So now you're dealing with a, a massive new platform, and we don't really can't we can't though really test the the results of that from an from a a, a global global meaning corporate wide um, impact metric. Even though we have several people now within our network that have shown they are influential with mass audiences, um, you know I mean. I, I, there's no way without the help of Mark Levin and Glenn Beck, I'd have sold as many of my last two copies, or last two books as I did without both of them. And, you know, the people who ended up buying the film rights to a nefarious plot only heard about the book because they heard Glenn Beck talking to me about it one day. So those are anecdotal ways. We can't yet really, when this merger is only a few months old, we can't yet quantify what kind of influence we have with that base of people yet. But it is something that's different than what was on the what was on the docket when I wrote this a year ago. So I just wanted to throw that in. But Todd, I will now uh, turn it over to you and Aaron to start. And I think part of this conversation ties directly into what we were just talking about a minute, a few minutes ago, in where the Trump presidency goes from here post Mueller vindication. Well, a little reading first. If I, Steve, have learned anything in electoral politics, I've learned this, and you neglect it at your own peril or receding hairline, whichever comes first. And here it is. The number one factor in determining who wins primary elections, and it's not even close, is name ID or name identification. That being said, what... And I, 
you seem to be applying that into politics in general, not just the Republican mm-hmm. Party there. That being said, what is the baseline worldview of the average American voter then, regardless of party that allows that to happen? The lack of a baseline, a coherent baseline worldview is I think what allows that to happen. Chaos. The- yes. And and so the without and and some of it is driven by the culture in which we live and not in a way that is an, is is a is an outcome that results from indoctrination, although it's part of it, but also it comes from, you know, we're busy. We got a lot of different things going on. And and that's that's why these three entities are so important and so influential. Because you know, I'm going to take my car in, I, you know, for my, I, every spring I take my car to the dealership. We've gone to this, we, we, we have a, a good friend of mine has been the service manager at three different dealerships here in central Iowa. And they're the only dealerships we have bought a car from in the last 15 years because we trust him. Because if, if I knew how to fix it myself, would I pay him to do it? No. If I had, if I did know how, and I had, and I had the time to do it, would I pay him? No. If I, if I, you know, so therefore, you know, I'm outsourcing this in a way, right? That doesn't mean that I'm not required to be a basic steward of the vehicle because I only take it to him a couple times a year. Do I only drive it twice a year? No. So the rest of the year, you know, it's my job to keep an eye on warning lights, check the oil, you know, fill the basic maintenance. What's the tire pressure, you know, uh, windshield wiper fluid, you know what I'm saying? Things of that nature. But when, but when it's time once or twice a year for a systemic reckoning, I neither have the, the, the knowledge and or the time to do this myself. Therefore, I'm going to take it to him, somebody I trust. He has proven to earn my trust. You may not like the show Rush Limbaugh does now. Was he always doing this show? No. I mean, Rush was one of the original culture warriors. The first, the first on-air shtick, they made him go viral, collar abortions. Okay? You know, if Drudge had started off with the shallow, banal, you know, um, clickbait headlines that dominate his website today. Would he, have, would he have become the force that he became in 1998, 1999, 2000 doing this? No. No. I mean, if you look at, you look at what, you know, the secret of Fox's success initially, and I've said this for years, is not that it was GOT, GOP TV. But that on a fundamental cultural level, it didn't treat institutions that what's left of America cherishes with immediate suspicion and disdain. The military, the church, the family. It it treated them as, you know, it gave them the benefit of the doubt that doesn't mean they always got that. I, I, I mean, I remember watching the O'Reilly factor and he was brutal on the on his own Catholic church during the first priest sex abuse scandal. But there's a difference between doing that to then just assuming, because I don't like the moral message you're preaching, you must be some kind of miscreant. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The immediate suspicion. And we've seen that play out with Trump Russia. 
I don't like Trump's border politics, so it must mean he's a Russian stooge. We see it every day. There's no reason that you could disagree with me other than you're a lesser form of life form, if you're a life form at all. Now, these entities I've mentioned may have departed from some of that original mission. That is what gave them their credibility in the first place. But if, if, if my service manager I love, Larry Jackson at Granger Motors in Granger, Iowa, if he starts cutting corners and stuff on fixing my car, unless the car breaks down, am I going to know enough to know? Probably not. No. And it's only when the car breaks down that I would then, barring something like cataclysmic like that, would I know something seems not right here because he's earned that level of trust with me. Is the analogy I'm drawing making sense here? Sure. And so when these three entities decide, and, and I talk about it in this chapter, I knew we were done with the ability to reform this party from within with the Matt Bevin, Mitch McConnell Senate race. And it wasn't even the outcome. I've lived through primary defeats. A couple of them with Bob Vanderplatz, who was with us in the first hour. <laughs> I'm used to losing on primary nights. But in a state as red as Kentucky, where Democrats have, on several occasions, not even gotten 40% of the vote statewide recently in presidential elections, all the time and energy that, was, that had been devoted to covering Matt Bevin versus Mitch McConnell. And Matt Bevin was not some chemtrails candidate, guys. He's now the governor of the state. We found a good candidate here to take on Ditch. And come primary night, the turnout in the Democratic Senate primary was higher than the turnout in the Republican Senate primary in that GOP of a state. How is that possible? Well, here's how it was possible. Go to foxnews.com, type in Bevin McConnell race, nothing comes up. Go to msnbc.com and type it in, like 80 results come up. Most of our, translation, most of our people had no idea this event was even occurring. They're busy. They've got churches, ministries, kids in school, kids doing 9,000. Our people actually have kids, so they've got like extracurricular activities. And How much time, if you weren't doing this for a living, how much time would you really have to justify devoting to following this all the time, Todd? Very little. Very little. Outside, basically, the basic amount needed for you to be an informed citizen to feel somewhat justified to vote every November. Short of that, if I didn't make this from a fiduciary perspective worth your time, would you devote this much time to it? Oh, I'm certain. I would. You do, you could, because you couldn't, because it would have to come from somewhere else. You know, you, you better have a reason for why you're checking Twitter at your kid's soccer event, because every minute you're down there watching Twitter, you're not watching what? The soccer. Event. Yeah. And, and one justification that your kids might go for is, hey, you know why you get to play this soccer stuff? Because I get paid to keep up on that, stuff like this. That's been said. Before. Okay. Yeah. If you didn't have that excuse, how would it be taken? I'm not well. You'd be a bad dad, <laughs> right? So our, these three entities have the esteem they have because they've largely earned it. But over the course of time, we've learned, I mean, Matt, Matt Drudge turned his website, I used to call it Mitt Drudge. I, I think I've been on the Drudge Report one time. And it was to, and it was for this chapter of the book, by the way, in 10 years. Because he just turned his whole website into Mitch Drudge. Mitt Drudge, that's what it was. It was open advocacy for Mitt Romney to win the GOP nomination. 
Everybody acts like what we saw these people do for Trump was new. No, it wasn't. They've done it all before. They've just never done it as loudly. So if our people, if a tree falls in the forest, who knows, right? You may have an emergency, but if you call 911 and nobody answers, right? Sure. Does that answer your question? It does. Aaron. What's the strategy in light of this then? What is the strategy if you are um, a legit principled conservative? Let's, let's stipulate first that some degree of principled conservatism by people with high character can still get you on Fox sometimes. Is that stipulated? I mean, if you're an sure. elected official, sure. with some, somebody with a built-in platform. Um, in light of that, then, is the best strategy for anybody who has designs on a higher uh, position, on a higher elected office, is to get on Fox as much as possible to make that the center of their professional existence? Is that really the strategy then? For for the most part in my career, it has been. I mean, I've had members of Congress and others tell me we can't push through a policy or do something because it won't play on Fox tonight. Now, when I wrote this chapter, though, I never foresaw there was the possibility that a platform could be created that would have any threat into cutting into Fox's market share whatsoever. So then you're saying that the priority needs to be appearing on Blaze. Yeah, well, depend and and you know, it depends on what we do with it. Yeah. We don't know that yet. Yeah. You know, the fact that I get paid to be here. And I think it's funny, every time I say something you don't like, you guys become convinced. If I if I criticize Trump, I get loaded up with, because uh, you're working for Never Trump or Glenn Beck, and he tells you what to say. I criticized yep. uh, Five Guys Burgers this weekend. Somebody replied this morning and made it about Trump. Yes. If I, like if, I, if I like something Trump did, well, you know, Levin's on, got a Fox show now, too. So, you know, he's been Foxified, and uh, he tells you what to say. We get how much how much of this crap do we get constantly? Um, all of it. Constantly. Which further speaks to how influential because of how shallow the populace is. If if your gatekeepers get corrupted, you know, in Ezekiel, God says to the to the watchman on the wall, You didn't commit the same sins the people did, but you were to warn them that what they were doing was bad. So when I'm done judging them, you're getting judged just as harshly because you didn't do your job. When the watchmen on the wall go bad. How will they hear the word if there is no one to preach it to them? That, that's the point we're trying to make here, you know? So no one has ever told me what I can and cannot say. No one has since we started this. I, I, I don't know how much, how plainer to be about that, you know? Um, it, we'll see, what will we do with the platform we have? I don't know the answer to that. The future will tell that, you know? But we're in terms of audience share, we are certainly off to a good start of building something that has the potential to change the narrative. Where we don't and and our I and I, I'll say this in case our management's listening. The challenge I think we will have is we can't do with Fox what most conservative media does with the liberal media. Most of what conservative media does is reacting to what the liberal media is doing. And then we we provide our snide commentary 
and our counter troll to theirs. That is that not what most of what's in our plat and yeah. our Twitter feeds every day from everybody we follow. Yep. Okay. We, I, to me, the power comes in actually the only way to win the game is not to play. That, that, you know, if folks want what Fox is doing, where will they go? Fox. Fox. You know, I think the challenge that we will have at the blaze is, you know, it's why churches that have gone liberal, every denomination that's gone liberal, attendance drops. Why? Because I can get that everywhere else. Yep. Loses the saltiness, the yes. distinctiveness. Yeah, it lo- it lo- I-, I can get that everywhere else. And I think our challenge will be to not put our own spin on what everybody else is doing. But to decide we've got a large enough platform over here now, we can now. We can, we can, we can throw open the Overton window a little bit more ourselves if we'd like. You want to talk about throwing open the Overton window? That's, again, why they're trying to shun the movie Unplanned. If you have not seen this yet, this is not a typical Christ, you know, cheesy Christian movie by any stretch. It steps on the neck of the shibboleth of the damned, but it also has law and gospel. It's a redemption story as well. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, it's going to be in theaters again this week. When you're talking about a per screen average higher than what Captain Marvel did last weekend, those theaters aren't going to be dropping it. In fact, I think you'll see it grow to a lot more theaters this weekend. If you want to watch the trailer for yourself, go to unplannedfilm.com. If you've been on the fence, look at how threatened they are by this film. Look, denying the ability for it to purchase marketing, um, den- giving it an R rating when it doesn't deserve one, uh, doing what Twitter did to the official account of the movie this weekend. The enemy is telling you, hey, the supporters of this film, like me, are right. It is a threat to the death cult. Check this movie out for yourself. Unplannedfilm.com is the website. That's unplannedfilm.com. You will not leave the theater the same way as you went in. I think you can attest to that having seen it over the weekend. Preach. Absolutely. Yeah, you will not leave the same way you went in. Unplannedfilm.com. If you have pro-choice, not pro-abort friends, pro-choice friends, they they are really the number one target demo for this film. Take them to see it. Unplannedfilm.com. We're back at it again tomorrow. Don't forget to blaze roundtable later today. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.